it all adds up to what good history is. We find out the story. But it has been a very important part of keeping this part of the world aware of what was going on. WPTF came on the air in 1924, and the next earliest station that came on the air to stay on the air in the Triangle was in the mid-30s when WDNC in Durham came on the air. And uh, by 1941, WPTF had gotten to the maximum power that a radio station could have in the United States on the AM band, and that is 50,000 watts. The only other station with that kind of power in North Carolina was WBT in Charlotte, which it turns out has been on the air with a license two years longer than WPTF. So a little bit of the history of the radio. They, the people had been playing with with electronic transmission on, on wires of uh, uh, tones, electronic sounds, and ultimately the uh, voice that would probably be called a telephone uh, for, for a time. But the the ability to put the signal into the air uh, had slowly be- become possible when uh, the, the tones, the, the Morse code and things like that could be sent, uh, 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 the uh, transmission of the letter S across the Atlantic in, in 1901 by uh, Marconi. I showed that to be possible, and uh, a number of uh, experimenters, uh, amateur radio scientists, had developed uh, the ability to transmit sound, the voice and music in the early years of uh, the 20th century, say 1900 to 1910. And so by 1910 or thereabouts, experimenters were transmitting, broadcasting, so that not just one person could hear it, but whomever may have had a radio set could hear it. That's why it's called broadcasting, so you could put the news out to lots of people. You could communicate to large numbers of people. And that's the essence of radio, I think, uh, is that uh, it could uh, well, it could provide people who had no way to get the news. Say if you lived in eastern North Carolina, just to pick a county, Onslow County, uh, you, what you knew about what was going on in the world largely waited for the train to arrive with the newspapers from Raleigh or from Wilmington or from some other place. But the radio made it possible for the individual sitting in his farmhouse to listen to what was going on in the world, probably with a battery-operated radio because the electricity had not gotten there yet. But it made the world uh, uh, a bigger place and it made it possible for people to be in contact with the world. Westinghouse uh, Electric Company, was one of the companies that got into the building of radios. And the problem was that they encountered finally, and this connects to the existence of a number of radio stations owned by Westinghouse, one of the great developers of broadcasting in America, is that the people had radios, but they had no stations to listen to. There were a few stations on the air. KDKA was on the air in Pittsburgh, WWJ in Detroit, uh, a number two or three stations in in New York City and in Boston. WBZ in Boston, for instance, which still exists, was one of the Westinghouse stations that was on the air. But somebody had to build the radio, had had the radios, and somebody had to build the stations, had it backwards. And uh, in in 1920, when after the election, on the night of the election, I I believe it was November 2nd, uh, the results were announced. Not only could people in Pittsburgh and environs hear the the results, but anyone who had a reasonably good radio 
And in fact, before Raleigh got a radio station, people in Raleigh uh, looked in the newspaper. And I think the News Observer actually published the schedules of stations in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and New York so that people could hear long distance. There are young people today who listen to FM all the time, and I have nothing against that, except they don't realize that the long-distance radio possibilities of AM. And so people like young Tom Kearney could listen to uh, rock and roll stations when we didn't have one here from Chicago, WLS from Buffalo, WKBW, Woolwell in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, WNOX in Knoxville, and WABC with Cousin Brucie in New York. The music was broadcasted. It helped create a culture. Raleigh, North Carolina did not have a radio station. The first radio station in Raleigh, North Carolina had the call letters randomly uh, uh, designated for of WLAC, and it was a station built by the, electronic, the Electrical Engineering Department at NC State by a professor who had served in World War I and had built radios for the military and uh, by the Agricultural Service at, at uh, NC State who thought the radio would be a good thing to inform farmers not only of the news, but of farm prices and, and uh, help uh, develop the farm markets and so on. Well, the radio station WLAC, which came on the air, I think in 1923, uh, stayed on the air about a year, but the, the university could not afford to keep it on the air, and the state legislature, uh, I think, in a, in a wrong move, decided it would cost too much to put this radio station on the air. I guess they had no uh, way of being uh, understanding of what the future of radio would be like. So WLAC went off the air. And not long after that, uh, a man named Will Wynn, who owned a shop uh, that sold electronic stuff, radios, uh, helped put WPTF on. The callers, I think, were WFB, uh, WFHG, I believe, were the right call letters. In any event, uh, uh, they got a license. Now, radio broadcasting in those days was not like it is now. That is, the station came on the air and stayed on constantly. It was sort of like signing on for maybe an hour. And I know Wynn would broadcast, uh, Mr. Wynn would broadcast things like the governor's address and a church service uh, or something special that was coming off. And, and it really never got going well until the station was taken over by the Durham Life Insurance Company. But Will Wynn did get the station on the air, and that allowed him to sell his radios and uh, developed a radio market in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a radio service that was uh, accessible to the citizens of North Carolina. In the early days, WPTF had had about 100 watts. I think eventually it got to 220 and worked its way up till 1931 when it got a full-fledged 5,000 watts, which made it a, a regional radio station and made it listenable throughout about half of eastern North Carolina. Signal not as good as the 50,000-watt signal would become in 1941, but the signal was there. And WPTF was there. Not WPTF yet. It was WRCO, the Wynn Radio Company, until Mr. Wynn, having operated the station about 100 hours the last year that he owned it, sold it to the Durham Life Insurance Company, who apparently, from what I've read, intended to um, use it as a public relations uh, outlet, that is, to provide radio service on some basis, maybe not uh, 20, 24-7 or even 
just in the daytime, but serve, signing on at times maybe to have a newscast, maybe a weathercast, but providing it as a service of the Durham Life Insurance Company. Now, in far-flung places like New York and Boston and so on, they were discovering that people would pay money to have words about their businesses broadcast on these radio stations. So in 1924, I think the first official advertisement was broadcast on a New York radio station, and I believe it was for a development, a housing development that was going to be built on Long Island. So we have the beginnings of what would turn into modern radio, and WPTF is on the edge of this and a part of it. That's what I'm interested in, having you have a feel for uh, on this date, not too far from the 96th birthday of WPTF. At this point, we're going to stop and offer you the opportunity to join the broadcast to see if you have any questions about what I have been saying, to see if you have any input. I always get a big kick out of when I run into somebody who listened to WPTF in this part of the world, and in eastern North Carolina, and listened to it. Uh, a guy told me he had used to, his father would get him up and take him to the farmer's market, and, and uh, he had to wait in the truck, and he would sit there and listen to the to the uh, to the uh, early morning broadcast on WPTF, which often included country and Western music, and that he had been a listener since the youth because he listened to his father's radio station. A lot of those radio stations were sort of what they called dialogues. That is, the people that had turned them on set them on WPTF, and they rarely changed. Uh, and uh, the number of people that have told me that was the case uh, never ceases to amaze me. But uh, that was sort of the way it was at our house. I grew up in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and we had a local radio station after 1939, WTVR uh, was our local station, and we listened to it a lot. But before that, we had uh, mostly in the daytime just WPTF as an outlet to the outside world. And we'll find out about how that outlet was made better by the station joining the National Broadcasting Company when we come back. 923 WCTF Radio in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tom Kearney here on the Tom Kearney Show for Monday night. I believe it's September the 14th. And as I pointed out to you at the beginning of the show, uh, next week WPTF will have been on the air 96 years. Now that's pretty good in the radio business. That puts us among the, uh, I don't know, they call them legacy stations, or but they're the, they're the grandfathers. Generation now we're not as early as a lot of stations, and we've mentioned tonight that uh, this this year will be the 100th anniversary of the uh, recognition through the broadcast of KDKA of the Harding Cox uh, political uh, the voting statistics and so on at the election in 1920 November 2nd 1920 of the effect of radio and how people could be brought into the community of of understanding who had voted for what and do it on a much quicker basis rather than uh, waiting for the the morning paper to come out. It could could be done instantaneously and on a broadcast, which means not just one listener but many listeners, like throwing seeds out. Uh, I think, in fact, that's called broadcasting seeds. Well, the the country uh, was realizing... uh, the leaders of the country and the people in the communication business, the potential for uh, for uh, information. I, and I say to our younger folks and people who have been aware of the 
changing nature of the development of the World Wide Web and, and the Internet, that it's not unlike it. It's something that began with a little spot and, and something where two people or a small number of people could talk and and, and ends up having endless possibilities. And But like that, it was not... But like the web, the early development of radio was a case of it not being entirely clear how it was going to take place. Well, one of the things that... that uh, helped uh, develop it was the beginning of the radio network. The oldest radio network, which doesn't exist anymore, the TV arm of it does, and that was the National Broadcasting Company, which was owned by RCA at that time, and the connections between RCA and General Electric and Westinghouse and all are so complex, we will not get into that. But in any event, uh, the National Broadcasting Company was created bringing stations together like uh, WBZ in Boston, uh, WEAF in New York, uh, uh, stations in Philadelphia, uh, who in, in, in Chicago, in some cases Detroit, where the resources, if a really good singer, a really good program was on a station in New York, it could also be heard in Philadelphia and in Chicago and in uh, ultimately Atlanta. And the National Broadcasting Company was formed in 1925, no, 1926, I'm sorry. And CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, was formed the next year as a competitor. Ultimately, NBC had so many stations that they actually had two networks that, that had counter-programming, and that is they had different programs on the networks. One was called the NBC Red Network, and the other was called the NBC Blue Network, and were identified as such. They would call that because in the headquarters of NBC, they, they uh, marked on the maps uh, the stations that were uh, in one network with the red pens and one with, with blue pens. Now, ultimately, this, the, the, the group of stations uh, that, that included WPTF that would, were part of the uh, red network would become NBC, and because of uh, uh, antitrust regulations, the the other network had to be sold off or spun off in the 50, 40s, excuse me, the 40s, right. Then the NBC Blue Network became what we call the American Broadcasting Company. Uh, CBS, meanwhile, uh, developed its own series of programs, and, and this is where we get something not unlike the television networks of our own day. In fact, the first television networks were NBC, CBS, ABC, and there was a another network that did not have a radio affiliate in the early days of television. We're talking 1945 to 50 now. It was called the Dumont Network that lasted about 10 years. It was independent, but it was serviceable, and uh, a number of, uh, on Channel 9 in Greenville in North Carolina once carried programs of the Dumont Network. And uh, it just uh, could not compete with the, the greater uh, financial influence of the big radio networks and their sponsorship of the beginning of the TV networks. Uh, and that, that's a story with, it, with itself. But WPTF joined the National Broadcasting Company. I have seen dates from 1928 to late 1929, but also I remember reading one time that it was the 68th affiliate of NBC. A meaningful, if you, if you like to play with numbers and, and, uh, 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 insignia, uh, 
uh, it was the 68 network. And by that time, WPTF had moved as it was moving around the dial. They, the broadcasting organization in the United States, in the government, the regulatory function, had not uh, systematized where the stations would be and what frequencies they would be on. And uh, ultimately, WPTF ended up being assigned 680, which it continues to have today. Then, and that's actually regarded as a good frequency uh, in in radio for particularly daytime broadcasting. So WPTF, by the late 20s, had gotten a permanent stand on uh, 680. It was marching its way toward having 5,000 watts, which was a sign of growth, and had become a member of a national network so it could provide national and international news and access to a larger radio world. More about WPTF and radio after this. Talk a little bit about the history of radio tonight. If you have a piece of historical information, uh, for a long time WPTF was the only station that people had to listen to in this market, and it, it has been a top-ranking station historically. So if you you do, our telephone number is 919-860-9783. Also, uh, we need to promo the fact that tomorrow night uh, we're going to talk with the head of the Museum of History uh, about the reopening of the Museum of North Carolina History and the other auxiliary museums uh, that is taking place now that we are at uh, the reopening of the state 2.5. And... Uh, Wednesday night, uh, Tony Rigsby will be here, and we will talk a little bit more about the history of WPTF, a, a part of a, a program to celebrate the history, the 96th birthday of WPTF, which uh, would the anniversary of that would be next Tuesday night. Tony has uh, been a staff member at WPTF a long time. You hear him doing the news and other programs during the daytime, and he will be with us on Wednesday night. Thursday night, Dr. Edward Funkhauser will be here. He is... Uh, he is uh, the guy who keeps the list for the necrology, those people who have passed away who deserve to be remembered. And so uh, we'll invite you to join us for the necrology on Thursday night. And Friday night, of course, will be Friday night trivia. Not sure exactly which kind, but then again, there's a little bit of the tease in that. We're talking about radio tonight, the history of radio. Uh, it, time has passed now so that some people do not understand the difference between AM and FM or do, do not recognize that maybe there is two different things. And so uh, we're, going to, we're going to end up talking a little bit about that tonight. But, but a little bit of a history of radio and a little bit of history of WPTF as a part of that more general history. And I, I think I titled it at the beginning, Little Tommy Kearney Listens to the Radio. I... Uh, was born in 1943, and I think I probably was listening to the radio regularly by 1947. And uh, most, both my grandparents and my parents liked to listen to the radio, and it was our window on the outside world. It was our way of finding out what was going on, what, what the baseball scores were, what Hitler was up to, etc. And uh, one of the main sources of it uh if not the main source, uh, was WPTF radio. Uh, my hometown being only 50 miles from WPTF, and by 1941, WPTF had gotten uh, the highest power that a 
commercial broadcasting station could have in the United States, and that is to say 50,000 watts. In fact, they achieved that in 1941. And over the time since then, the two stations with 24-hour authorization to operate with 50,000 watts have for the most part been WPTF and the station in North Carolina, just slightly older in Charlotte, WBT. And so WPTF has a 50,000-watt signal, mostly orientated to the south and east, but not entirely. So, And so it can be heard at a great distance as well as locally and in the daytime heard over about half of North Carolina, extending down into South Carolina and up into uh, Virginia, about as far as uh, Petersburg. I know our call shows have get used to get uh, calls from, from there and from Florence, South Carolina. But it is uh, a way that people who lived in a rural situation, who had no outlet to the world, who went to town maybe on Saturday, uh, uh, could stay up with what was on the world and uh, know about what went on. Um, many people who would be in our listening audience would know who Charles Carrot was, and I remember talking to him one time about visiting his grandfather who lived in Onslow County and listening to the world on WPTF. Well, I had gotten us to the point where we uh, had uh, WPTF with 5,000 watts with being a member of the National Broadcasting Company and uh, uh, having an orientation on uh, a settled frequency at 680. Now, one of the problems with 680, just to throw in a little, little bit of trivia, was that WPTF was limited uh, at that frequency uh, by a station in San Francisco that uh, I think it was called KPO then, but it's KNBR now, and it is the grandfather on that channel, and that is it's been on there longer. And uh, uh, because uh, AM signals are not limited to, to the horizon, but rather uh, bounce off the ionosphere and, and go long distances, the, the possibility for uh, a collision between the signals existed in, middle, in the middle part of America. And because KNBR was the older station, and I'm giving its call letters as of now, WPTF had to step back, so to speak, and could had to sign off the air when when the KPO or KNBR was on the air. So WPTF had to sign off usually by 11 o'clock, and had to do this until they developed a directionalized antennas in the mid 1930s, when their broadcast antenna facility was located on what is now Western Boulevard in Raleigh, near Cary, and. Uh, uh, in, in a facility that, that still exists and is still used for, for that purpose. Uh, so, uh, uh, But eventually they were able to stay on the air uh, 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 full 24 hours if they wanted to with the, with the appropriate license uh, because they, the signal was directionalized in such a way that it did not cause uh, uh, problems with uh, KNBR in San Francisco. We will invite you, if you have any questions about any of this, I'm going along kind of fast, but I wanted, I've always wanted to keep the ideas of the history of radio out there uh, because it has been such a valuable part of uh, creating America and an America that, uh, that had some idea of what was going on. 
and uh, that news could be presented, whether it was the news of Pearl Harbor or 9-11 or whatever, the, the assassination of President uh, Kennedy, uh, instantaneously. And that I've always thought was one of the wonderful things. It could take you there in, in an instant. WPTF was a member of the National Broadcasting Company, NBC, as of uh, the late 20s. And the radio networks, as they came about, uh, and we were really talking about, say, in 1931, NBC Red and NBC Blue, the two separate networks, and the CBS network. Eventually, in the early 40s, NBC Blue will turn into ABC Radio, and there's one more network to be founded, and that is the station, uh, the network uh, known as the Mutual Broadcasting System, which came on board in 1934. It tended to be a network that more stations belonged to, but was not necessarily the the station that the powerful stations. That that doesn't mean that some of the stations that belonged to Mutual were not powerful. In fact, it was three or four powerful NBC stations that went together to uh, form the Mutual Broadcasting System. In 1934, WGN in Chicago, WOR in New York, WLW in Cincinnati, the station that would at one time run 500,000 watts into their antennas in a major experiment that uh, was finally given up, uh, WXYZ in Detroit, which was the place that uh, the program, one of the programs that, that created the need for the mutual broadcasting system uh, was created. WXYZ was the station who who had people on its staff. And in those days, radio was seen as being a, an entertainment, uh, an intellectual uh, uh, unity, and uh, it was a place where real live drama was produced, written and produced and live. And the drama that was produced at WXYZ that attracted the attention of big stations like WGN in Chicago and W. Um, well, WGY in Schenectady, New York, was also attracted. WOR in New York was the Lone Ranger, one of the really great creations of uh, the of the radio networks. And uh, one of the things I think uh, that's happened in the American entertainment industry is the people that continue to try to make movies about the Lone Ranger have never quite gotten it straight that the Lone Ranger is a radio program. And the... Uh, the things that are important about it that you can see and feel in your mind are created on the radio and uh, just are, are not the same when they're tr produced in movies or in television programs. That's Tom Kearney's private opinion. Well, it's not private now, but it's, that's my personal opinion. That The Lone Ranger, which I love to listen to, is a radio program. 9.43 is our time right now at WPTF. If you have a comment that you'd like to make, you may think I'm crazy on the last issue, as a matter of fact, or may want to know something about the history of radio, because we're we're going to give you a little bit of background so you can understand the position and significance of WPTF being 96 years old. When, uh, uh, Tom, we have uh, Anthony from Broadway on. Okay, tell Anthony to hold on. We're going to have a little break here, and then we'll talk with him, okay? Okay, Anthony will be with you in a moment, but we've got something that's scheduled here, and we've got to do it. Uh, one of them is to talk about my friends, and I'm actually going to visit them with my car to be serviced, uh, not tomorrow, but Wednesday. And I, uh, Steve, don't forget that if you're listening tonight. Uh, the heat is 
still with us, that it's as hard on your car as it is on you. Uh, if your battery is weak, for instance, the heat will spit, speed up the failure rate. Your AC is working even harder in the hot summer weather, and particularly when the humidity is high. And in keeping you cool, to keep you cool, you need to bring your car to King's Auto Servicing. The highly trained technicians at King's will evaluate the engine cooling system, which also includes hoses, belts, and yes, even tires. For those of you who are currently driving a Toyota Prius or some other hybrid vehicle, the certified hybrid technicians at King's are now able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the dealer was uh, going to charge you to replace it. This usually occurs, the need to replacement, at about 150,000 miles. Call King's tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis. King's Auto Service and King's Correct Loop, along with the State Inspection Station, are easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street in downtown Raleigh and at kingautomotive.net on the web. King's Auto Service, Raleigh's most reliable auto care since 1946. We'll talk to Anthony right after this. Tony Rigsby's visit on Wednesday night when we're going to talk about the golden age of radio right after that in the 50s and 60s here. And um, uh, we are uh, filling you in on some of the history of WPTF uh, and how it grew and changed over that time period. We have a call on the line. We've invited you to join us. And Anthony, who lives in Broadway and is within the sound of WPTF signal, uh, probably has been listening to it for a good bit of his life. Is that true, Anthony? That's true. Uh, when my parents were working, they would get up at 5 a.m. and they would tune to WPTF and listen to Bill Jackson. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. And BJ, as uh, he was known. And then they listened to Johnny Hood, and mm -hmm. they listened to Maury O'Dell. So there was a, a host of uh, folks that uh, they listened to. Uh, Bart Rittner, my aunt, uh, used to listen to him with Ask Your Neighbor. So, right, uh, and, well, uh, one of the things that I am used to hearing from people, uh, it's true of me and it's true of Mrs. Kearney, is that you listen to the BJ show and they had a 15-minute segment about 8.15 called Let's Go to the Hills. Right. And uh, when it came on, it meant time to go to school. You didn't have to know what the clock said. When it came on, it was time to go to school. And, uh, and go to the hills, people, hills. Uh, the hills. And then if you didn't have to go to school, if you were an older person, if you waited until 9.15, you could listen to a program called Gab Fest, which was a couple of guys like Bart and Wally and so on just kind of chewing the cud a little bit. Uh, but anyway, it was... Uh, it was it was something you could count on, and uh, Tony will be on with me. Tony Rigsby on Wednesday night, and his favorite show on WPTF ever was the BJ Show, which I think Bill Jackson started doing that about 1950, and he did it until about 1970 when Johnny Hood took over the show for a while. Yeah, Bill got sick and uh, yeah. passed away in 1972. My brother was at uh, NC State at the time, and. He was listening, and they said that the uh, voice of the wolf pack had passed away, uh, Bill right. Jackson. That was somewhere in 1972. I think he had been at uh, either Carolina or at Duke, one or the other. And uh, my neighbor uh, had cancer, and I think he was in the same 
uh, on the same floor as Bill Jackson uh, during that time period. But uh, anyway. Well, well, I think a lot of people like to listen to him, and he had a very calm voice, and he sort of brought you into, and there was no screaming, he just kind of brought you into the day real easy, and you just, it just felt good. But more people have told me that, I mean, you, you have to imagine that most of the radios in this part of the world were tuned to WPTF when the Bill Jackson show was on. Well, you talked about uh, earlier that uh, WPTF has a directional signal at night, and non-directional by day. I'm out here 40 miles from the transmitter site, and I can hear that change. Uh, now, in September, it's 7 a.m. in the morning and 7.30 in the evening, and I can hear that change. Uh, it used to be that uh, I would listen to a station out of Fayetteville. Uh, Paul Michaels used to work there at WFNC. When they were on 940, uh, they couldn't go north at night, and they would be in the middle of a song, and it just disappeared. And that's what got me into radio. I didn't care about playing the music or any of that stuff. I wanted to know why I couldn't hear that station at night, and then I learned directional signals had anywhere between 2 and 12 towers. Um, when I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia, taking a class back 42 years ago, I couldn't hear WPTF up there, but I could hear WBT out of Charlotte because their signal went in that direction. You know, the signal of WBT, if you see it charted, it looks like a bow tie. And it's, right. And it, it's got a southern end and a northern end, but I listen to it in Quebec City, which is in, you know, way the heck up there, north of Maine. And, and, uh, and uh, there's this south and southeast, southwest and northeast is what it is. But, uh, there are certain parts of the northern circle where you can hear WPTF, but uh, right. uh, the reason that 940 was cut out on you is that that is a Canadian clear, is what it is. Yes, sir. It is the station in Montreal on that frequency, and, and WFNC had to clear out for them. In fact, uh, that's why they got off of 940, ultimately, you know, got off of that, and is on 640 now. So. Yeah, they went to 640. They were... Uh... 50,000 watts, but at night they were doing five towers and 1,000 watts, and it all went southeast at night. Yeah, one of what you've got is one tower probably is emitting the signal, and the other four are canceling it out, and so on. That's all I know exactly. about antennas right there. But uh, I can tell you you're a student of radio, and uh, there, there are those of us who love it. And uh, But that that's exactly the case. Well, I'm going to have to go. Uh, All right, well, I've enjoyed the radio thing, and I look forward to hearing uh, Tony Rigsby tell his uh, tales on uh, Wednesday night. Well, that's a good, that will be a good thing, because he does have tales to tell. Thank you. All right. Okay, thank you. Anthony from Broadway. It's All right, have a good one, Tom. You're about 40 miles from the tower, I think you said it. I am. Okay. All right, take care. Yes, sir. Bye. And tomorrow night, uh, we're going to uh, talk about uh, the reopening of the North Carolina Museum of History in downtown Raleigh and the, the auxiliary museums that are located throughout the state. Uh, Ken Howard, who's the executive director of the museum, will be our guest tomorrow night. And so we look forward to that. The uh, museums have been closed during the lockdown, and so they will be reopening. Uh, right now, we need to thank you for listening tonight. and. Uh, tell you that we'll talk to you again following the 9 o'clock news tomorrow night.